Lord God, we thank you for your word, which is the truth. We pray this morning that we are filled by the Holy Spirit, your word, your truth, so that we love Christ evermore. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last Sunday, we celebrated both the life and the passing of Pat Wells. And you know what? I couldn't help but think of her during this series because it talks about Lois, Timothy's grandmother. And she was the one uh, who gave many special things to Timothy, but the best gift she gave was one of faith and love of Jesus. She, in essence, passed on the torch of faith. And that's what she did. And in similar manner, Paul is writing to Timothy here. And Paul's near the end of his life. And he too is passing on that torch of faith to Timothy. Now, the letter that he writes to Timothy, boy, it's really, it's heartfelt. And he hacks, asks him and encourages him really to be both faithful and bold. To let that fame, flame of faith burn brightly in him. And now, near the end of his letter, and by the way, you can almost think of 2 Timothy as his last will and testament, so to speak, to Timothy, Paul's last will to Timothy. He bequeaths him something special, and he says, it is the call of being a preacher. And it is the call, it is a charge, it is a duty to preach the word no matter the circumstances. Now, even though it's written from one pastor to another, from one preacher to another, I believe that you and I still get a lot of value, a lot of enrichment, a lot of building up our, our faith by going through this particular letter. So if you want to put in a nutshell what we're going to be covering today, it is this. I give you a solemn charge. Preach the word, because the sheep will stray. Therefore, do the work you are called to do. I am passing the torch, the torch of faith to you. That's what we're going to be covering today. So let's go with the first one, the solemn charge. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Now, with the plethora of TV shows and crime shows, I'm sure you've watched a lot of courts where people are sworn in, you know? They have to put their hand on the Bible. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you, God. And you've seen that. But has anybody actually ever been sworn in as a witness? It's a little bit different, isn't it? Rather than just being a viewer of it, you're there and you're there before a judge, and you have to put your hand on the Bible, or they don't have to do that nowadays, but they used to a lot, and your heart beats a little bit faster. All of a sudden, the stakes are raised a little bit, right? Paul gives Timothy a very solemn charge. He, he would say something like this, I solemnly charge you, or with great and serious importance, I give you this duty. 
But now it's not just before the judge and swearing to God. He says before God and Jesus Christ. Before God the Father who sits on the very throne of heaven and before Jesus Christ. Before Jesus Christ who is at his side. Who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Who is the lamb who was slain. Who is the one who is only worthy to open the scrolls of judgment. Who is the Alpha and the Omega. Who is the one who will come again to judge the living and the dead. I solemnly charge you. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and and teaching. Preach the word. Think about this. Out of all the things that he could have said, right? That he could have given the very some of the very last words to Timothy. He could have said about loving the flock. He could have said about caring for those who are in need. He could have said many things. And by the way, is a pastor, is a preacher to care for the flock? Is he supposed to take care of those who are in need? Yes, those are commanded in many different places, so we don't ignore that. But some of his last words, he doesn't leave Timothy with that. He says, preach the word. That's the overarching duty. Preach. You know, we use that word a lot. You see me every Sunday. But what does that actually mean? Preach. Preach the word. To preach means to proclaim as a herald. One person put it this way, to make a loud public proclamation, one that has been given him by a superior, to, pro- to boldly proclaim what has been given. It's like uh, in the days of old, they would have the town crier, right? And the town crier would come out with a bell, hear ye, hear ye, this is the word of the king. The preacher comes in the name of the king. Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain, our Lord and Savior, the king of kings. See, what does it mean to preach? It means to proclaim, to be a herald of what the king has said. Moses was a herald. Isaiah was a herald. John the Baptist, right? He was a herald from our gospel reading. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Look, all of the preachers who have been great preachers are heralds of the word. Now, they all, each one, you know, each has his own style. Some are loud, some are soft. Some are more serious, some are a little bit more humorous. But all of them are heralds of the word. And we have fallen so far in modern times what the call of being a preacher is. 
You know, you see so many preachers nowadays looking cool, right? Skinny jeans. I'm never going to wear skinny jeans. I'm just, you aren't going to see that, right? The shirt tucked out, right? The, the, the hair that's spiked or something like that. Or you see muscular ones. I mean, p- preachers who have the muscles, and the, you aren't going to see that either. But, um, but, but you know, they, they're wearing the tight shirts, and they're kind of showing off their physique. And what a far cry it is from being a herald of the word. And that's what a preacher is supposed to be. A preacher is supposed to be a herald of the word. Preach the word. So we aren't supposed to preach philosophy or theories or speculations or anything like that. We aren't to do psychology. We aren't to do, you know, some some preachers don't even use the word. They use movies. And they'll use movies as what they use as their basis for preaching. I mean, it's not the word. See, when you actually understand God's word, you understand there's power in the word. Yeah, amen to that, right? And you, you preach the word and you let the word do its work. Not me doing the work, but God's word doing the work. And so thus we preach the law, which convicts of sin. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we preach his word in the fullness of the law. We preach his word in the fullness of the gospel in which there is forgiveness of sin, in which there is reconciliation, in which there is comfort, in which lifts up the sagging spirits. So we preach the word. You see, by putting preach the word first before everything else here, Paul makes preaching the central task of the pastor. In Romans chapter 10, it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And that was also in our call to worship from Isaiah. So preach the word. And he says, you got to be ready no matter where you are. It's not just on the pulpit. It could be in the grocery store. It could be at the gas station. It could be when somebody comes over to fix an appliance in our house. (laughs) Preach the word, man. No matter where you are. It could be walking the dog around the lake. Preach the word. Be ready. In season, out of season. And then he also says this. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So these are actually three commands that he gives. The language says these are commands to do. Reprove, correct. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. To reprove. To reprove. And these kind of go into greater levels. To reprove 
is to correct someone. That's the base level. To rebuke is to admonish or censure. A little bit stronger, right? And then exhort. Now, exhort means to strongly encourage. But the way it's listed here and the way I think they go up in intensity, it would be a better way to strongly admonish. Okay? So you've got three things that the pastor is supposed to do, the preacher is supposed to do. Now, I'm going to guess if you look at a call committee and they list the job description on there for the pastor, it will say, preach the word, but it will never say, rebuke us or reprove us or strongly admonish us. I'm Do those words ever come to mind when you think of a pastor? No, but this is actually what pastors are supposed to do. Pastors are not to be people pleasers, to say anything goes. Jesus didn't do that. The apostles didn't do that. Paul wrote to Timothy, these are things that they are supposed to do. At the same time, It does not or never gives a pastor or preacher license to be a strident dictator, running over everyone. Rather, you are to do it with complete patience and teaching. This is the hard part. Because people, and I'm including myself in this, people, we're messy, aren't we? We're not... We are sinners who are saved by grace. And thus the church is made up of messy people. And again, I'm including myself in this one. Church is just often messy. That's the bottom line. So Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, all right, take a deep breath. On your knees in prayer, go to Christ Jesus. Get the patience. And continue to teach the sheep. Because you know what? They're going to stray. And they're going to stray badly. There are tough times ahead. It says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Sound teaching. So, what is sound? When we talk about sound, it is solid, stable, free from flaw, free from error or fallacy. Right? When you ask for somebody, you want sound advice. And you want, and and by the way, normally, don't you find out that most of the sound advice is really simply tried and true advice? that there's really nothing new under the sun, as we would go from Ecclesiastes, the actual true sound advice is enduring throughout the ages. The trouble is, when it comes to spiritual things, people don't want sound advice. As a matter of fact, they, have, they, they listen to unsound advice. There are many people who want to take unsound spiritual shortcuts. And so they end up following the path of least resistance, what makes them feel good. 
These are people who are spiritual, but not religious. So there are, I'm just going to give you a couple of examples here. There are people who chase after something called the Christ consciousness. Christ consciousness. So what does that mean? And by the way, there are a number of websites out there. Christ consciousness really is about the highest state of intellectual development and emotional uh, maturity. Many sites go on to claim that Jesus achieved this higher state of being in his human life and was given this term, Christ, before his name as the recognition of his achievement of this spiritual state. This path is open to anyone regardless of the religious tradition if and when he or she is open to become a living vessel of love and truth on the planet and actively strives to attain it. It's a lot, right? Actually, you know what? When I was reading this and thinking about this, do you remember the song, This is the Age of Aquarius? Fifth Dimension, it was, came from the movie Hair. Harmony and understanding, right? Mystic crystal revelation and the mind's true liberation. Aquarius. I mean, doesn't that sound like the same thing? But they add Christ in there and somehow make it more spiritual or appealing to the less discerning people. Has anybody ever heard of the Course in Miracles? Yeah, so Course in Miracles, especially in the 70s, 80s, and even in the 90s, was very popular. You don't hear much about it now. But it was based on a book, uh, 1976 book, by Helen uh, Schuckman, I believe, S-C-H-U-C-M-A-N. The underlying premise is that the greatest miracle is the act of simply gaining a full awareness of love's presence in one's own life. She claimed that her book was dictated to her word for word via inner dictation from Christ. Okay? Why do people flock to things like this? Because it glorifies, it exalts the self. It's all inward focused. It is not Christ focused. It is all about how I can have that true liberation of Aquarius. Sorry, I just want to see how many times I could work that in this morning. As we all remember that to one degree or another. So these people have a, and we all have this at some level, an itch for self-glorification. An itch that needs to be scratched. And therefore, we look for teachers, for preachers, who are in line with our lusts, our desires, and our passions. The things of this world. How many of you remember Oral Roberts? Oral Roberts. He was a prosperity preacher. As a matter of fact, he was the first one who really coined the phrase seed faith. What is seed faith? In essence, if you give money to the ministry you will get back sevenfold, tenfold the amount of money. Now, there's more steps on that, and he even wrote a book on that. And he really capitalized, and when I mean capitalized, he made a lot of money. Because people, 
well, I want more money, and this preacher said if I do that, I'm going to get more money back. And the only ones who really get more money truly are the ones who preach that. Now, I just listened to a sermon from a church in Mesa a couple of weeks ago, and I, it, it was just so bad. It took the story of loaves and fishes and made it into about tithing and how Jesus couldn't perform that miracle unless Peter collected the fish and asked him to bless. I mean, Peter became the star and tithing became the whole message about it. They really just had a twist scripture, but ultimately it was another prosperity preaching just in a more sophisticated manner. Yeah. I had a headache all day long, literally. Why do people do that? Why do people follow that? Because they don't know his word. They don't know his truth. His truth keeps marching on from the song. Rather than truths, they get involved in myth stories, fanciful interpretations. But earlier in the letter, he wrote to Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And Timothy, don't be discouraged. Do the work that's ahead of you. Do the work to which you have been called. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Look, when you are in a storm at sea, you want a captain, right, who is level-headed, who will steer through that storm and get you safe to the other side, right? That's what you want in a captain. Now, in a like manner, there are many storms that have been battering the Christian church and the Christian faith in the last two years. Pandemic, right? Masks or no masks. Now it's vaccination or no vaccination, right? These are storms that are battering it. There's a ton of political unrest. There has also been, there have been riots, right? The last summer, certainly a ton of riots. And there's also the critical race theory, and now we're seeing this in the schools and the arguments there. There are a lot of storms that are battering the church and the Christian faith. And it's really easy as a pastor just to jump from one storm to another. Oh, let's have a sermon on critical race theory. Oh, let's have a sermon on vaccine. Oh, let's have a sermon on political unrest. Oh, right? You can just be battered by the storms and ultimately you end up on the shoals. Paul's writing to Timothy. You need to be sober-minded. You need to be level-headed with this. In storms that affect the faith, the call is to keep the main thing, the gospel, the main thing. To be level-headed no matter the storm or false teaching. Even if the congregation doesn't like it. Even if the rest of the world doesn't like it. Even if it upsets people, keep the main thing, the main thing, and do the work of an evangelist. Okay, so here's a word, evangelist. Now, when you hear that word, I'm going to guess you have some reactions. Some of it might be positive. 
You might think of people who are really, you know, like Billy Graham out in front of a large stadium preaching the word. You also then might have some negative reactions, you know, people who come door to door or people who are like overzealous. But have you ever stopped and just said, well, what is an evangelist? Just like we talked about what is a preaching, what is an evangelist? Well, on a very simple level, an evangelist is someone who shares the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, if you take a look in the original language, the word that we use for gospel is oangelion. I'll just kind of mumble it out. It's Greek, right? But that's the word that we get for evangelion or the good news. And that's what it is. It is good tidings or good news. So the gospel is good news. An evangelist is someone who shares the good news. So if you've ever shared the good news with anybody, scary for you to know this, but you've been an evangelist. Somebody who shares the good news. I know people are like, not me. Look, if somebody asks you, I'm, let's just make this really simple. If somebody says, why do you go to church on Sunday? You can say, well, I, I go there because I, I like to hear good news. And they're like, good news? Yeah. You see, I've done a lot of bad stuff against God. And through Jesus, I'm forgiven. And I got to hear that every Sunday, man. And, and that's good news. And if you do something like that, as simple as that, you're an evangelist. Now, we think the evangelist should always be the call of the pastor, right? Or the preacher or somebody. And, but no, we all can share the good news with each other on a very, very simple level. Okay. So as pastors, as preachers, as members of the congregation, the good news is not only the what, it's the why. It's why we do everything we do. And we keep the main thing, the main thing, sailing through the storms. Paul tells Timothy, you need to keep doing that. Keep on keeping on, because I'm patch, passing on to you the torch of faith. He says this, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, when a sacrifice was given to the Lord, whether it's a grain offering, uh, a bull, um, or a ram, there was also supposed to be a drink offering. And it was wine that was offered up to the Lord. One commentator put it this way. I really liked it. Since this wine was gradually poured out and was the final act of the entire sacrificial ceremony, it pictured most adequately the gradual ebbing away of Paul's life. He was presenting his ministry, his life to God as an offering. 
After he was born again, he gave it his all, left nothing behind. And I really like how it reads in the original language. It says, it says, the good fight, I fought it. The race, I finished it. The faith, I kept it. He says, I've given my all, and I've, throughout my life, I've steered that course on Christ Jesus and the gospel. And he's passing this on to Timothy. You know, as I get older, and I know I'm younger than most, but 61 is still starting to get there. Now, I know you can all talk to me afterwards about that. But uh, I have a greater urgency, right, to pass this on. Because really, I don't know when my last day will be. But I have that urgency to pass it on. As a matter of fact, I reconnected with a young man who I knew back in Uppsala who's now at the Bible, um, Bible school for the AFLC. And it, it's just a miracle that he's even there. And so we're going to reconnect now during the school year, but to pass on. And at the end, Paul says he's not afraid at all. No, he's not afraid of what comes. What lies ahead of Paul is not the fear of death, but the joy of Jesus, the crown of righteousness. This is not bragging, by the way. This is what has been promised to those who have fought the fight, who have run the race, who have kept the faith, a crown of righteousness. Peter understood this. He said, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. James wrote this, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, For when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And Jesus, in Revelation, said, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. This is what waits us. The glory of the Lord bestowed upon us, not because we have earned it, but because we have faith in him who has who has righteousness, who has life, who has grace, who has mercy. We have faith in Christ Jesus, the King of kings. So for you this morning, you have been called. You've been called by the gospel, the good news of Christ Jesus. What will you do with that calling? Will you stand firm in the word and follow sound teaching. And finally, with whom or to whom will you pass on the torch of faith? Let's pray. Gracious God, merciful God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your great love. Keep guiding us through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we too have fought the good fight, have finished the race, and have kept the faith and shared the good news. Amen.